Morning. Join with me in reading our scripture today, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, and I'm using the English Standard Version. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please be seated. Well, I'm happy to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence this morning. And for those who are visiting with us, we're always very happy to have you. Thank you for coming our way. For those who are on the internet following along, we're always delighted to have you as well and very grateful for your interest in the Word of God and our worship together that you would be viewing us through that medium. And we certainly ask you to come back and be with us tonight at 6 o'clock. And it's always a privilege and a pleasure to sing these beautiful songs. Thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in such a fine way. Hallelujah, what a Savior. The word hallelujah is a Hebrew word. It means praise God. Praise God, what a Savior. I have to say amen to that, and every time I hear that song, I try to sing it as best I can, but there's always a lump in my throat and in an element in my heart that really uh, is touched by the sentiments of that wonderful song. And then thank you, Gene, for the prayer this morning. Brother Gene Greer is one of our faithful gospel preachers. We're very happy to have him with us here at Broadway, and always very grateful for these men who have surrounded ourselves with this table and served the ordinance in such a respectful way. We're very grateful for that. Thank you. I know that we're ready to enter into this portion of our worship service whereby we set aside the cares of this life and the things which are occupying our mind and focus our attention on the Word of God. And what a better passage could we have than Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Paul's talking about the greatness of the church. He does so in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, he told us of our past condition, how sinful we really were. He now tells us of our present condition. Because of the mercy of God, we're saved by His amazing grace. He also makes reference to our future condition, and that is being with God forever and with ever. When you read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you're looking at the grace of God, which is the result of God's mercy. The grace of God is God's divine side of salvation. But he also talks about the matter of faith. We are saved by grace, and he says, through faith. Through faith has reference to the human side of this equation, There is a divine side, all that God has done and continues to do with regard to salvation. There is a human side with regard to this matter of salvation. That's my responsibility to live and meet the conditions which God has given. Sometimes in the pages of the Bible, you'll hear the question, what must I do to be saved? Philippian jailer asked it in Acts chapter 16 in the verse verse 30, and it's a good question. Those on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, ask the same question. What must we do? It's a good question. It's showing the human responsibility and the human side in the matter of salvation. When Paul talks about amazing grace, he's talking about God's side. 
what God has done, what God continues to do for our salvation. When he talks about through faith, he's talking about our responsibility. Sometimes people just emphasize the divine side, and they never get around to the responsibility which humans have in responding to the grace of God and doing so in a proper way. But the Bible makes clear in a number of Bible passages as to what the divine side is and what the human side is. And I want to talk with you a little bit today, first of all, about the divine side. What has God done and what is the significance of the great work of God and God's amazing grace? And in doing that, you're going to find that there are a number of passages in the New Bible, in the Bible, the New Testament, which talks about God's divine side and His grace. All these passages are saying different things, but they're not contradictory. They're harmonious with each other, but they give us greater insight and a depth of understanding as to what the divine side of salvation is all about. Take, for example, the Bible talks about the fact that we are saved by God, God the Father. Romans chapter 8, in the verse, verse 33, who shall... Uh, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. It is only God that can make men right. And the word justified means making right, making one right. Much of what the book of Romans is about this great subject of justification. Man has now been justified by his obedience to the divine will of God. Paul calls it the righteousness of God. Well, who saves? God does the saving. You see, sin is against God, and only God can save from sin. He's the one that justifies. So the Bible says, as far as the divine side is concerned, it is God who does the forgiving. It is God who does the saving. You have also 1 Timothy 4 and verse 10. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. That Bible passage, 1 Timothy 4, in the verse, verse 10, it talks about the fact that God saves by His amazing grace. You see, man's guilty of sin, and man needs sin, and God's reached down to help man with his sin, and in turn it's because of His grace that makes it possible that we can have eternal life. So the Bible focuses on the fact that there's a divine side to salvation, and that divine side begins with being saved by God the Father. But it also talks about the fact that we're saved by Jesus Christ. The Bible makes very clear we are to come to God through Christ, come to God in Christ, by Christ, and because of Christ. And what more beautiful passage could there be to teach this truth than John chapter 3 and verse 16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He's going to save the world. He's the Savior of the world. And the Bible's making very clear that if man is going to be saved, it is going to be saved because of what Jesus Christ did. On the divine side of the matter of salvation, we are saved by Christ. His name is Savior. His name is Jesus. It's a very appropriate name. Now all of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. It's an appropriate name. His name is Savior. He saves people. That's the divine side. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. You have a beautiful passage there that is saying, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief, Paul said. The passage is 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. It reminds you of the fact when Jesus was trying to encourage the apostles, and they realized that he was going to leave them. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's John chapter 14, and the verse is verse 6. And it is saying that part of the divine side of salvation is wrapped up in this wonderful truth that Jesus came to this world and this life and taught the parables and healed miraculously, was di- died on the cross and was raised from the dead and ascended back to the glory of God to save sinners from their sins. That's the divine side. The divine side of salvation says that we're saved by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've thought much about it, but the Bible makes very clear. We're saved by God the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and the verses, verse 11. And as you go to that particular passage, you're going to look at the fact of how wicked the Corinthian people were prior to or before their conversion. And then because of this important matter, they've been obedient to the gospel of Christ. And such were some of you, he said, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 11 is talking about the fact that we're saved by God the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about the fact that when the Holy Spirit reveals His divine will and the Word of God, the truth, and men hear it and men's hearts are open to it, they respond to it properly, they receive the forgiveness of their sins. He likened it to armor, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. This is the work of the Spirit in conversion, teaching men the Word of God through the Word, helping them understand, quickening them, sanctifying them, converting them. And that is the case with regard to God the Holy Spirit who has revealed the divine truth of God so that we may go and read it and study it and learn something about the divine side of salvation. Where would we be without God? Working with regard to the matter of our salvation in which He reached down to sinful man to help him in this as only God could. Add to that. The divine side of salvation, the Bible tells us that we're saved by the blood of Christ. And how important is that in matter of the blood of Jesus? That He's the offering. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I'd like to turn to that particular passage and read it for you. It's found in John chapter 1 and the verse of verse 29. In fact, the Bible says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why don't we go to Matthew or John chapter 4 now. And the verses, verse 25 and verse 26, as these particular passages are forecasting for us and portraying how important Jesus really is. The woman said to him, this is the woman at the well of Samaria, you'll recall, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. 
When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Turn to John chapter 6 and verse 35. And in John chapter 6 and verse 35, we see once again the significance of the blood of Christ and the, down, and the divine side with regard to salvation. And there it tells us in the passage, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who comes to me will not hunger, and who believes in me will never thirst. Now I'd say we could go on and on and on, especially through the Gospel of John, and pick out these wonderful passages which emphasize for us, it is because of Jesus and the blood of Christ we are saved. Over and over again. In fact, John says at the conclusion of the book, John chapter 20, 30, and 31, these things are written that you might believe. In fact, there's sufficient evidence to look at the life of Jesus and the blood of Christ that would cause great faith to come into your heart and to your mind, that you'd want to come and be obedient to the gospel of Christ. Where would we be without the blood of Jesus? There would be no remission of sin. There would be no forgiveness, as Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And without that blood, there'd be no forgiveness whatsoever tells us in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's how we can have forgiveness through the blood of Christ. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. There are modern theologians and modern preachers out there that object to the idea of preaching about the blood of Jesus and how that the blood of Jesus would cleanse us of our sins. But I object strongly to those particular preachers and those theologians. The Bible is emphasizing for us about the precious blood of Jesus. Peter described it, that we are not redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. Now what is impressing me on this particular matter is the divine side of salvation. Look at all that God has done with regard to the matter of my salvation. The divine side. There's on and on the Bible goes. I'm not only saved by Christ and saved by the blood of Christ. The Bible says I'm saved by the gospel of Christ. And that wonderful passage that you read in Romans chapter 1 and the Bible in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, it takes great power to forgive man of sin, and only God's got that power. Man doesn't have the power. Now, as much power as man has, he doesn't have anything that is necessary and sufficient to forgive of sin. But the Bible is saying that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I have to stop and think when I think about the word power there in Romans 1 and 16. I think about words like dynamite and dynamic and dynamo. All these particular words are English words which we have derived from this particular original word. And this original word is conveying the great power of God. So let's think about that for a moment. Think about the great power of God in creating the world. Creating the world in six literal 24-hour days, and resting on the seventh. That God created the world. God created man. Take great power to do that, divine power. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostril the breath of life. 
Man became a living soul. Great powers involved in God to redeem and to save the children of Israel from Pharaoh's army and would cross through the sea on dry land. Or great power to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from a fiery furnace. Great power to deliver these Old Testament prophets from the hands of wicked men so that they would be able to deliver the Word of God and thus receive God's uh, salvation if they would simply return to it and obey it. Great power to bring men from death to life as he would raise Lazarus from the dead. All of this great power that God has why is now focused in this matter of the gospel. The gospel has the power to change men from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God. This is the divine side of salvation. He's talking about what God has done. God has given us the gospel to which when we listen to it and the word of God is preached, we believe. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Jesus said. When we hear and believe the gospel of Christ, <clears throat> then we learn what God wants us to do. And we learn something of the great power that's involved in that. Not only are we saved by the gospel of Christ, but we're saved by the word of God. All these great passages are telling us of how God, on his divine side, has worked out man's salvation for man's benefit. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 14, there the apostle Peter recounts going to the household of Cornelius. You'll remember that wonderful story in Acts chapter 10. He goes to the house of Cornelius and they obey the gospel. They hear the word of God. He commanded them to be baptized. Acts chapter 10 and verse 48. Well, in that regard, he goes and he begins to discuss the matter in Acts chapter 11. And he recounts what uh, the angel had said to Cornelius. And he will tell thee words whereby thine all thy house shall be saved. That's Acts chapter 11. And the verse is verse 12. There he's telling them, listen to the words of God and be saved. This is God's divine side. Listen to the words of God. Listen to what God has said so that you can hear the gospel and hear the words of God and receive forgiveness of your sins. The word of God is sharp, quick, and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. That's Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. You can read that from the pages of your Bible. It's talking about the cogency and the effectiveness of the word of God. This is all God's divine work. Man didn't do this. God did this. God has helped in the divine side to save man from his sins. For God's grace are ye saved through faith. Grace refers to the divine side. Second Peter chapter 4 and verse 2, there Paul gives Timothy the charge to preach the word. Be in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, he said in chapter 3. You know, he's been given the charge. He commands him, preach the word of God. We're saved by the word of God. We're saved by listening to the word of God and responding to it. That's all God's work. That's God's side. That's grace. God's grace has reached down to save man through his word. So we have the commission and the command to preach and teach the word and only the word, that which God has given us, that which will bring about salvation. You have the divine side in salvation. You have God's amazing grace whereby he brings salvation, makes it possible for all of us. 
But a lot of people stumble at this particular point, and that is man's responsibility and duty to the same. Just as there's a divine side in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, there's a human side in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. The divine side is perfect, and everything that God has done for man's salvation has been provided. But yet there's a human side, a responsibility which you and I must meet in order to be pleasing in the sight of God. And what is the human side? How has God expected us to respond? He expects us to respond out of faith. We are to grow in faith. He tells us in the Bible passage, Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I'm to grow in this matter of faith. It's my responsibility in this regard to live the kind of life that God wants me to live. It is a life of faith. It is a matter of trusting God and have confidence in God, to believe in God, to believe in Christ, to believe in the sacrifice of Christ, to believe in the teaching of Christ and the gospel of Christ. I'm to have faith in that, confident trust in that particular matter which God has given. And that's why preaching is so important. That's why the Word of God is so important, because it enlightens, it informs, it motivates, it encourages people to respond to the Word of God out of faith. Now, faith, without it, we can't, simply cannot be saved. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16 and verse 16, Except ye believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. John chapter 8 and the verses, verse 24. So then how will faith express itself? How is it that I am to show this faith? How is it that I am to show and understand that I've got this saving faith which is my responsibility as a human being to respond to God. Well, faith expresses itself. Faith will express itself in repentance. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. That's Luke 13 and verse 3. Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, said God wants all men everywhere to repent. In other words, to change our heart, which changes our mind, which changes our life. Repentance is an act of faith. God's not repenting. I'm the one that repents. I change my life because that's the kind of life that I need to live. And I haven't been living that kind of life. I've been living a sinful life. Change. That's not an easy thing to do. And sometimes we don't emphasize it like we should. But it's my responsibility to change the way I think and to change my heart. Did we not just sing Pure in heart, O oh God, help me to be. Amen to that, amen to that. We need to change our heart. That's repentance. And that motivates to change our life, to live a different kind of life, the kind of life that we read in the pages of the New Testament. And I have to ask myself the question, am I living up to my responsibility here? I have a human responsibility. God's done His part. I have a responsibility to do my part. And am I really doing what I need to be doing? i tell you what an act of faith is. It's confession. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. The Bible's making the important thought, giving it to us, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, 
thou shalt be saved. I want you to read that passage. It's Romans chapter 10 and the verse of verse 9. And it's talking about the significance of me confessing publicly that Jesus is the Christ of the Son of the living God. You know, there's an old man, I guess I said old man, I don't know that I should have said old man, but there was a man, a nobleman, I suppose he would have been an older aged man, riding in an old iron chariot coming down from Jerusalem, riding down the road that goes toward Gaza. He's headed back to Ethiopia, and he's reading Isaiah chapter 53. And the Spirit tells Stephen, Philip, go and join thyself to that man and teach him the Word of God. And as this iron chariot is traveling along the way, a lot of those expensive chariots would be four-wheeled chariots. He's a, a nobleman. He has high responsibility and great authority with regard to Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And in so doing, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, now, how can I unless someone teaches me? And at that particular point in Isaiah, Philip begins to teach to him Jesus. As he does, he goes along the way and he learns enough about Jesus. And he comes to water. And in water, he says, now, what hinders me to be baptized? He said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then Philip goes into the water with the Ethiopian, and he baptizes him, which is another act of faith. Notice how he confessed the name of Christ. Notice now that he's in the water, being baptized, he's being immersed in water. Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, and 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The only kind of baptism there that an individual can understand is an immersion in water. It is the kind of individual who comes to understand and believe. He's mature enough to believe what he's doing, to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and to act out of obedient faith. You see, this is the human side to salvation. I'm acting out of obedient faith, and I'm being immersed in water for the remission of my sins. Galatians chapter 3.27 tells us that's how we get into Christ. We put on Christ by being baptized. Romans chapter 6, I love that passage in Romans 6. In fact, everyone ought to study very carefully the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. I'm going to turn to it and read just a passage or two out of it. But the focus that I have in mind is verse 3. But in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul has spent so much time talking about being justified. And he gets to this point, chapter 4, chapter 5, he tells us how to be justified. And he gives us that wonderful illustration of Abraham and his obedient faith. And then he comes to chapter 6, and he's talking about the consequences of justification. And in a real, true, rabbinical fashion, he anticipates some objections in chapter 6. And one of the objections he anticipates, and I've often thought, he's probably heard this objection before. That's why he's writing about it, Romans 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If sin is involved in being lost and God's wonderful grace can overcome the sin, wouldn't that mean that the more I sin, the more grace I get? He said, God forbid. 
Now, I still think that he may have thought of that objection because he may have heard that objection before. And he writes about it in Romans chapter 6, and he's saying in that particular passage that, um, God forbid, you know it's going to be hard to live for sin when we've died to sin. And what Paul does is take our minds back to the cemetery. And he's saying, you died to that. Now you're alive to Christ. Now I'm going to read the passage. It's found for us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 4. Now I'm going to skip down a little further into Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to look at about verse 17, but let me give you the context. In Romans chapter 6, in this portion of the chapter, he's trying to get them to decide whose servant are you going to serve? Whose master are you going to be? You're going to be the servant of this master of sin, or are you going to be the servant of that master, which is Jesus Christ? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants to whom you will obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. If you're going to yield to Satan, you're going to obey Satan. You're going to receive the rewards of sin, which is death. But if you yield to Christ, you're going to obey Christ, and you'll receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. And so he gives us this point in verse 17. But thanks be to God that through you were the slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And the verse there is verse 18. You know what that slave of righteousness means? You're free now. You were a slave, but now you're free. And the word conveyed in that is the idea of the smith who goes up to the slave and the slave is shackled in irons, but he frees the slave. He's knocking off the shackles, and the slave is now free. He's a free man because the shackles are removed. That's what happens by means of being baptized into Christ. An act of faith. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. It is my responsibility to live for him out of an obedient faith. Now, a lot of times people will stumble at this particular matter, and I need to explain it a little better. And the reason they stumble is to say, well, you know, if I am baptized, that does away with the free gift. If I'm obedient, then that does away with the free gift of God. But it doesn't cancel out the free gift of God at all. You see, baptism, repentance, confession, faith, all of these are matters of condition whereby we receive the free gift of grace. Now, I'll say this. We're not saved by the condition. We're saved by the grace. But we'll never get the grace without being obedient to the conditions of salvation. I've got my responsibility that I have to do in order to receive God's amazing grace. Before I can receive it, then I must be obedient to it. And that brings me to another important response which I'm to give. I'm to give an obedient response. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey 
him. And did we not just read in Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 that he was thankful that they had obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which had been given unto them. That's a wonderful point there that really deserves our time and attention. The form, the doctrine. They had obeyed the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ by being baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. You see, the gospel is the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How do I respond to that? I respond to that by being baptized into the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. I must obey. I know it's not something that we like to hear. It's not something that you're going to hear in fashionable pulpits today. But it is what the Word of God teaches. Romans 1 verse 5, he talks about an obedient faith. Romans chapter 16, 26, nearly the last verse of Romans, talking about an obedient faith. Romans begins with obedience of faith. The book of Romans ends with obedience of faith. It is my response to the divine will of God. And then this matter of works comes up before us. My responsibility is to be a working child of God. James chapter 2 and verse 24 makes it very clear that these good works, works of righteousness, are a part of my Christian life. It's not that I'm saved by works. I'm not earning my salvation. I cannot do that. But what I am doing in this regard is responding to the divine will of God. And I'm to fill my life I'm to be zealous of good works. You remember that woman in the pages of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9? And the passage uh, is uh, about verse uh, 36, where her name was Dorcas, and they were lamenting the fact that Dorcas had passed away because she had filled her life with good works, acts of charity, acts of loving kindness, acts of consideration and love. And so we should be filling our hearts and our lives with good works. I'm talking about what do I need to do? What is my responsibility in this matter? I understand God's part, and now I understand my part. And we need to read Romans chapter 5. I go to Romans chapter 5, and I'm beginning in verse 1. I'll read verses 1 and 2, and I'll leave it with you. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. We have this grace because of obedient faith. And we stand in it. And we glory God because of it. And our lives are filled with happiness. Our lives are filled with focus, purposefulness, and desire for that great day when Christ will come again. Do you not understand now very well God's purpose and what God has done? Do we not understand very well what God expects me to do, to repent and to confess, and out of an obedient faith, be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. And when I do, 
I'm the recipient of God's amazing grace, which can be yours today if you fulfill your responsibility to obey God. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing? Have thine affections been nailed to the cross?